You're listening to the ESO Network, your station for all things geek. In a world filled with cigars, craft beer, comics, movies, and video games, only two men are brave enough to search out all things nerdy. It's the Cigar Nerds Podcast! And welcome to Cigar Nerds Podcast. I'm your host, Smokin' Joe. I'm Brad Jackson. Which is kind of weird, because I'm also a host. <laughs> You're the other guy. <laughs> I'm just that random dude that shows up occasionally, just to add, you know, a couple of random inputs, uh, just to keep the show flowing. Yep. So, this is our Dragon Con wrap-up report. We have survived yet another year of Atlanta's, our Hell the East's biggest con, or at least the coolest con, and to celebrate... What are we smoking this week, Brad? Uh, so this week we have the Rocky Patel LB1, uh, which is basically named after some of the original cigar factory codes that they use when producing cigars. Yep, it is a medium-bodied smoke rolled in Honduras from tobacco blend that includes Lajero from Jamastron Valley of Honduras and a mix of fillers from Candega and Esteli. And the wrapper is a beautiful Ecuador Habano. <laughs> and a very, yeah, you know, it's kind of simple, but also yeah. kind of elegant uh, band here. With I mean, there's, and there's something about this uh, copper banding um, that just matches wonderfully with the shade of a uh, wrapper on the cigar. And, um, you know, like you said, it's it's... Simply elegant, I think, is the best way to describe this. And, um, you know, haven't seen too much new stuff out of Rocky Patel, so it was kind of nice to see these hit the shelves and be like, ah, okay, something new to try. You got that new new. You know, I went back uh, over the course of Dragon Con, and um, I still had some Super Laheros back from, <laughs> you know, maybe a year and a half or so ago uh, when the Super Laheros were actually pretty good. Something about the blending or something changed. Um, and they went so, from, Yeah, I just haven't seen them in a while. Yeah, I mean, it went from being a good cigar to... Whoa, whoa, what happened? <laughs> like, <laughs> um, So it was nice to go and revisit a blast from the past, and, um, you know, that's mainly what got me through my uh, Dragon Con craze. Uh, yes, yeah. So that's you know one of the advice we always give. You always bring your uh, bring your own cigars to con because you might not be able to uh, find any once you get there. Well, I unless mean, you go over the to the thing. phone booth. Well, I mean, you can go to the phone booth, but you know, one of the cool things is um, you know, just like with the Dragon Con craft beer meetup, like a lot of the cigar guys, you know, I found are hey, you know, let's make some trades and stuff like that. So I like to always have a few on hand just to be like, you got something I haven't tried before. <laughs> care to make a deal a deal with the devil <laughs> tell me what you truly desire like i saw that guy at dragon con <laughs> and the thing that gets me through dragon con every year strikeforceenergy.com use your promo code cigar nerds for 20 percent off your order and you know you, you get plenty of those little tin pouches to keep in your uh, dragon con utility belt and pour it in whatever hydration or libation you happen to be drinking at the time yeah, I, I, I did, um, I, you know, it seemed to work, because you would crash, and then you'd be like, hold on, I need a strike force, and then it'd be like, oh, he's good for another 12 hours. <laughs> Call in the force. 
I'm not sure if it works that well or if it's just mentally got you trained. <laughs> yeah. At this point, it's like, I got to get my fix, bro. <laughs> I need my sugar. Yeah. I mean, that's your booger sugar. <laughs> I don't know about booger sugar now. Uh, hide it in your prison wallet. <laughs> I was kind of, you know, just making a uh, reference to the uh, that, that Muppet film, you know, where they're all addicted to sugar. <laughs> Which was a highlight of last year's Dragon Con. Uh, so, without any further ado, we'll get into our wrapping up of the big con, the dragon itself. Dragon Con. dragon con <laughs> we did it all again just as the song says <laughs> but it's always a little bit different and and i guess that's the beauty of dragon con is you know you never quite know what you're gonna get what kind of surprises await and just you know overall shenanigans um you know people's watchers dream <laughs> yeah because i mean this year we went light on the the cosplay, uh, so we, we uh, didn't get all all dressed up. But there's plenty of people there dressed up to to check out and and get your people watching cosplay admiring. And and every time I go, I'm like, you know, next year I'm gonna I'm gonna make a costume. And then I get there and I look at like how great some people's costumes are. And I'm like, I have neither the time, talent, or funding to, <laughs> to do I, anything on this level. You know, I, I guess what surprises me is I love the people that take just a very simple idea and throw it together, and it's like, that's truly awesome. Yeah, it's like... You, you know, know, I mean, that's like, you know, somebody taking a burlap sack and, you know, doing Oogie Boogie, and it's like one of the most iconic and res <laughs> recognizable costumes. And it's like, so simple, but effective. Yeah, I mean... you. I mean, there was even, like, just simple costumes. I mean, I saw one guy just in overalls and a yellow shirt and a, uh, a freaking, was it, uh, minion hat on. <laughs> I mean, if you, want, if you want to participate, you don't have to go all out and have the 
movie quality Iron Man outfit. I mean, anything is pretty much acceptable at Dragon Con. I mean, there was a Captain America with nothing but a shield and a speedo that had America's ass written on it at one point. So, I mean, anything is a costume, at least during certain hours of Dragon Con. <laughs> Unofficially. I mean, officially, all hours. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, but I mean, that's, that's one of the beauties. So, you know, the fact that we didn't take a lot of costuming or anything else, like this is the lightest I've ever packed for a con in my life. And it was quite amazing to be able to traverse, you know, without suitcases and coolers and recording equipment and just, you know, like 15 things. It's like crap. <laughs> this, this really should be two or three trips, but damn it. I'm making it in one. Yeah. Uh, Cause we're not paying the $30 for parking. Yes. It's like Whatever we can carry on the train, and we're only making one trip. So, not costuming. Do you feel like it took anything away from your con experience? Not really, because other than, you know, I always bring some kind of steampunk gear for the, you know, steampunk party or whatever, and do that at least once. But other than that, it's like, since we've been media and running around doing interviews and stuff, I'm like, my cigar nerd shirt is pretty much my cosplay for the weekend. It's just, it's like, all right, I'm a uh, a drunken podcaster. That's my that's my costume. <laughs> I mean, I still want to finish that. Yeah, every time I think about finishing my Jedi outfit or my Mandalorian that I've been working on for years, it's like it's really fucking hot in Atlanta. <laughs> you I'm know, like, but I I do have to say though that um the weather this year was quite pleasant. I mean, you know. I, I think to some point, you know, folks, it was hot, but it definitely wasn't as hot this year as it has been in past years, and the humidity was only 50% instead of the usual 90%. Yeah, and it's like, I'm I'm just too lazy for it, because it's, uh, like, I'll go to, like, a smaller, like, steampunk convention and be dressed up all weekend long, but I'm like, I'm only in one hotel, and You're usually indoors. everything's, like, yes. on one floor, but it's like... Yeah, you know, you're walking eight, ten miles a day, if not more, at Dragon Con. I'm like, nah, it's like, I'm going to be comfortable. I'm going to wear a kilt or shorts <laughs> and a t-shirt all weekend. I lost enough weight that I officially need to get a new kilt. <laughs> and I never got around to actually getting a kilt belt ever, so I feel like a kilt and a belt is going to be two things that I acquire before next con. Yeah, I need I need a new one myself. It's you know, cause That's kind of like standard... Uh, Standard uniform of Dragon Con is you gotta have a kilt. Especially for fat guys like me. It's and like I never, everybody's in a kilt. And I never quite have the right boots for the kilt either. Yes, I, that's I, the I, other I thing. I feel like the boots really make the kilt, and I don't know. I I feel like that needs to happen. Yeah, so then I gotta get a sweet pair of boots, because it just doesn't look right walking around in tennis shoes and a kilt. So if there's one guy, and I can't remember his name, but we see him every year at the uh, Dragon Con cigar meetup. But that dude had a different kilt every day. Like, every time I saw him, it was a different kilt. I'm like, that guy must not own pants. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, like, the... I want a whole closet of kilts. That's, like, pretty awesome. <laughs> and it can happen. All for the low price of ever how much a kilt cost. True enough. <laughs> uh, yeah, speaking of which, if you're in Atlanta and you need a local kilt dealer, no, not a sponsor, but Atlanta Kilts is where I've bought a couple of mine. Yeah, I... Um... They make some good shit. Well, I mean, I, I like Atlanta Kilts because they have the, quote, utilicilt style, you know, pocketing on a lot of their kilt as options. And then they also have the, the traditional kilts as well, yeah. which is what I bought from them. But I like the fact that instead of two or $300, I can get it for 80 to $90. So, <laughs> That's you know. the other big selling point. 
Oh, hell, if you don't even have a costume, you can build a costume once you get to Dragon Con. Because that's one of the, one of the. I mean, there's so much shit in the uh, in the dealer's room that you could pretty much source a costume once you get there if you have the the funds. But that's the other thing that amazes me about these great uh, makers and costumers that come to Dragon Con is there was literally something that happened. What Saturday night there was a amplifier caught or speaker caught on fire at one at the Ali and AJ concert, and they had to evacuate the Sheridan. The next day, there was someone dressed as a burning speaker walking around the floor. <laughs> I mean, you know these people are just bringing totes of, you know, the crafting foam and everything else and are just like, you know, whatever, you know, event or, you know, random shenanigan kicks off, they'll be like, I've got a costume for that, you know. <laughs> and that's that's kind of the cool thing It's just the the stuff that folks throw together on the fly that's like, you know... That's very creative and very awesome. <laughs> oh, so while we're talking about costumes, we every year we have the costume of the con. And I the think, one that is is I it, think I called this one when we did the Stranger <laughs> Things episode too. <laughs> it's like the one that becomes like it, it almost excessive, like you know, and we we don't count the Deadpool's because that's a every year thing. Uh, there's always Deadpool's. There's always Harley Quinns. But this was the exception. Uh, this year, and they, they, I didn't really. I mean, there was a lot of Deadpool's, but I didn't see as many Deadpool's as, as I, I normally did, have. Definitely didn't see as many Harley's. I mean, I, I saw a lot more Deadpool mashups of Deadpool cosplaying as something else. Yes. But uh, the straight up Deadpool's, I, I didn't see as many. But this year's costume of the con has to go to the Scoops outfit from Stranger Things season three. There was a ton of those. <laughs> It's like everywhere I looked, there was somebody in a freaking Scoops outfit. I'm now glad I a, I'm glad I didn't build that because <laughs> I had that thought, and then I'm like, no. <laughs> here's the one disappointment I had is you know they they have ice cream vendors you know posted up throughout a couple of the hotels. At no point were any of the ice cream vendors dressed up as uh, Scoops. That, uh, yeah, that is a and, definitely and, missed and, opportunity. And, you know, I was like. That, that that should have been my one thing is to get ice cream from somebody actually dressed up as a uh, Scoops Ahoy, uh, uh, you know. Oh, yeah, it was like guys, girls. I mean, it was, I think I even saw a dog dressed in a Scoops outfit at one point. I mean, it was, and it wasn't just like one, it was like all weekend. It was like everywhere you turned, there was a Scoops employee. <laughs> I even seen one that went as far to do the post-interrogation Steve version of Scoops. I mean, he had like the black eye and blood on his face and everything. Like he just got the shit beat out of him. And I was like, all right, that's pretty awesome. <laughs> and I was disappointed. I, my, my one cosplay idea that I never had, didn't have time to get it shipped was the hopper, uh, Hawaiian shirt outfit. And I, I did see at least four or five of the, uh, the hoppers. I even saw one with an AK 47 walking around. I was like, all right, that's, that's pretty sweet. So it was like, um, so, there was one costume that was so brilliantly done that, you know, just, I don't know how many folks caught it in person, but the kid that did the never-ending story on the Hyatt carpet that looks like doo-doo brown sand, <laughs> uh, you know. Yes, with the horse's head. With the horse head, you know, just straight up, you know, like, instantly, like, shredded all the heartstrings. Like, yes, anyone know, who remembers that fateful scene that that you know hurt us so or bad as a child when Artax, gosh. when Atreyu uh loses his uh horse to the 
to the sinking swamp mud. Yeah, someone had a full-on horse head and was dressed in train <laughs> trying to rescue his horse from the Marriott uh, carpet. Oh. Yeah, that one was, was brilliant. I mean, there was some good, good like, I mean, and, and... performance piece costumes this year. Yes. Um... Um, so hmm. I did see a Indy, a Papa Papa Jones, and the uh, the Grail Knight together at one point, and, and the Grail Knight even had like a, a table of Grails and said, "Choose wisely." <laughs> I, I I did see quite a bit of a uh, Monty Python represented it uh, yeah, this year several, too, which was pretty awesome. Several of the knights, I think, I even saw a knight this the knight the same neat. I even saw uh, the Black Knight at one point. <laughs> I thought about I challenging to, him to a duel. I was trying to acquire shrubberies. <laughs> uh, That's what we should have done. Just got some shrubbery, taking it to the the knights. Ah, uh, yes. Um, most um, interesting. Have no clue what it was from. Dildo bot. Yes, because I have no better explanation or what to call it because I haven't figured out how to Google. What this thing is without going to machine porn sites. Um, yeah, if you uh, if you happen to be listening to this and know what that was, uh, send us an email because I don't know if that's an original creation or from some kind of show. But every night after everything kind of cleared out a little bit, there was this dildo bot roaming around the you know the the Hyatt lobby. And it was a robot made out of like junk. It was like a blender yeah, I mean, and a, a you know trash cans, blender, um, a vacuum cleaner, but it had these little articulated arms that had dildos and butt plugs on the end of them, and it was just roaming around the. But the I lobby. feel like the way that it's constructed, though, though, that it is from something, and we tried to have a discussion with the room on what it was from, and everybody, you know, was kind of. Oh, it's that thing from that show, but nobody could ever, you know, <laughs> give us a legit answer. Yeah, because I'm pretty sure if I had seen that before, I would have recognized it. But yeah, so if anybody knows what that was, please. It's clue us bender in. on an ender. <laughs> yeah, I did did see a bender, a couple of benders walking around too. That's always a good costume for drinking in because it's you know fits your character. I'm not drunk. I'm, and that's probably the. I would say Stranger Things definitely was the. The big thing of the con, which it has been the last couple of years, but I saw a lot of the eleven eighties romper, <laughs> like you know the, the, her her cool mall outfit. Well, there was a lot more that I saw. You know, once con wrapped up and everybody started doing their photo dumps, like the the when when you see the photo dumps, that's the moment that you know it sets in and be like, this is how much I missed, <laughs> like. You know, it's just crazy that you can spend five days roaming the same couple of city blocks and oh, yeah. how much you don't actually see in person. Yeah, I mean, with this year was another record attendance, 85,000. When there's 85,000 of us roaming Atlanta, it's like it's real easy to miss a lot of stuff. I mean, hell, I had friends there that, you know, I know they're there because I see them on Instagram. But you have friends? occasionally okay but unless like i actually call them and plan a meetup like we're not going to randomly run into each other unless one of them comes up and starts licking the glass at the uh, chicken place while we're eating dinner that's 
which is kind of weird. Especially when your wife has no idea who they are. You're just sitting there and some bearded dude comes up and starts licking the window. Well, it's kind of funny because uh, the guy that was with him didn't recognize you either. So he's looking at his buddy like, what the fuck are you doing? Like, yeah, and then and he then, sees me and, and he's, like, he's like, hi, oh, Joe. Joe. <laughs> <laughs> like, <laughs> oh... Uh, another highlight of con is just running into the usual folks that are like, "Hey, I actually listened to you guys." Uh, yeah, it's like you know, and and yeah, hell, it's like the, I mean, the same guy that came up talked to us last year at the smoking deck made another. It's like, "Hey, cigar nerds," and like you know, it's like catching up with people. It's like we haven't seen these guys in a year, um, and you know, the, we our eyes start. Uh, <laughs> you know, unfortunately, you had a a work incident and missed like the first first day of con, so. You didn't get to hit the annual Dragon Con cigar meetup, which that's Shh, kind of... I got a ribbon that says I did. <laughs> but, I mean, it was it was a good turnout this year. I won a giant framed poster of some girl smoking a cigar, which was really hard to get on the train Monday morning. But, I mean, usual great turnout. I saw some cool costumes. There was a uh, an Hannibal and a Murdoch, which I'm like, if my hair ever goes full gray, I'm definitely doing... The, uh, the Hannibal cosplay. <laughs> we can get you a bunch of gold change. You can be white, Mr. T. But we can make it happen. I'll get a sweet van. <laughs> Down by the river. Just get me one of the Barbie Jeeps and, you know, paint it black with, you know, the red striping. And... Yeah, I even saw a Thanos Scoops Ahoy outfit. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, it, it, there's just so much to see and, like, you know... You don't always have time to stop and grab a picture or, you know, it'll be like you pass somebody in a sky bridge and like, damn, that's really awesome. Do I stalk you until we get off the sky bridge to harass you for a picture or? <laughs> yeah, it's like we passed uh steam powered giraffe on, on this, the, the Hyatt uh, to the Marriott sky bridge. Well, I mean, like, that was the thing. The we actually crew. had a uh, couple of guest encounters this year, um, you know. Maybe not quite to the magnitude of the real-life Stan Lee cameo that we got a couple of years back, but, um, you know, we did get to share an elevator with Alfred. Yep, uh, Sean Petrie, Petri, however you pronounce his name, from, from Gotham, which, it's just one, one of the great things about Dragon Con is it's like, the celebrities have as much fun as we do, so, you know, it's like not like going somewhere to an event and they got, like, big burly security people with them, like, no, they're just roaming the halls like the rest of us. For the most part. I mean, you do have the one-offs. I mean, you know, when we saw Stan and, you know, he had his security, you know, folks with him. But, I mean, well, he's out Stan, in you the, know? you know, yeah, I mean, um, but I, I don't know. I mean, I didn't know it at the time, but, you know, past T-Pain and his daughter, you know, out on uh, the streets walking to America's Mart and... Yeah, he had a pretty badass costume, which I didn't even, until I looked on his Instagram later, I was like, oh shit, I did see him. I had no idea, because he was like in full-on disguise. I mean, he was some Kung Fu Master character from uh, one of the video games, I, I think. I'm not familiar with it, but he I mean, he had dyed his hair gray and had these like big gray but beard. But apparently, you know, he does con attendance, you know, just about annually. So, <laughs> you know, I mean, it's awesome that, you know, folks from... All walks of life, no matter, you know, how small or large can come together for this one event and just, you know, coexist and... Yeah, and, and freaking hell, our roommate at the con, CJ, ended up smoking a cigarette with uh, with Alfred. Uh, he said he's just out on a bench out front of the Hyatt having a cigarette, and this dude, you know, nice English gentleman sits down next to him, and he's like, 
Oh shit! How's it going, man? <laughs> got got a selfie with and him. It's, it's always so weird too when those things happen because it's like you know, all right, you know, just strike up a conversation and you know carry on and hey, can I grab a picture? Oh sure, you know, and it's you know very informal and I, I mean you know I think that is truly the magic of con. <laughs> I don't know. I think for me. Uh, you know, as a big horror fan, uh, getting to meet Robert England, uh, was pretty cool, you know, for those brief seconds, you know, <laughs> but yeah, I went to his panel too. And it, it was, it was, it was him and two of the girls from the first, uh, uh, Nightmare on Elm Street movie. And yeah, just hear them talking about how, I mean, now that's so iconic, but them filming the first one, which was kind of, a, uh, you know low budget indie film at the time before it kind of blew up and well i mean i them have no clue a, uh, what kind of fuckery they had just created uh, i think there was a documentary like nightmare red white and blue or something like that that talked about you know how they did you know so many of the effects and everything else like uh you know the scene where you know the blood you know fills up the room and everything it's like yeah we built a set that was upside down and you know trying to get everybody coordinated and you know it's like ah <coughs> like visual effects art artists i think you know probably would make some of the world's greatest magicians just you know and the way that they it's like i've seen deception but you guys are filming deception yeah, that's, a, that's the great thing, too, of, like, cause I, I, he talked a little bit about, you know, the art of practical effects, and <clears throat> he said, you know, it's really a shame a lot of things have gone full CGI when, you know, it looks so much better when it's a practical effect or a combination of practical and CGI where it's not, like, 100%, you know, not there, and they're acting to a green screen. It, it's always better when it's, you know some kind of physical effect and then just enhance it with CGI instead of completely I mean, replacing I, I it. I think that's kind of the thing for me that I, um, I tend to enjoy more is, you know, I like CGI, like you said, used as an enhancement, yeah. not the primary effect. Yeah. And, like a lot of the, uh, Guillermo movies where he, he tries to build as much of it as he can in the real world, which, that kind of also makes it easier for the actors so they have something real to, you know, act against and they're not having to, you know, talk to thin air in front of a green screen. Well, I mean, that's what I, you know, I, I always, I don't know, love the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. And I love watching, I don't care that I've seen it a thousand times, but I love to watch, you know, the interviews with Toby Hooper, Gunnar Henson, and... You know, so many of the actors talk about, like, the dinner scene and stuff. And they're like, yes, it was 120 degrees in the house. <laughs> this meat is spoiling. Like, you walk in and just the smell of this rancidness. Like, <laughs> it, you know, people are having to leave set to go vomit and everything. And it, like, just brings such a sense of realism, you know. <laughs> oh. Yeah, we had another celebrity encounter at one point when we were on the elevator. And this was, like, late at night. I mean, we were coming back from the... Cybertronic Spree concert at like two ish, <laughs> and we get on the elevator with some you know nice lady, and I noticed she had a guest badge on, but I didn't recognize her at the time. And she's like, "So do y'all come here to see anybody specific?" And we're like, "We come every year. It doesn't matter who's here. Like we're here every year and just see you know see everybody that we can." She's like, "All right, we well, all have a nice con." And then it turns out she's like, I think from uh, 
Agents of Shield or uh, Black. I think she's on Black Lightning as well. <laughs> it was like, it's like I know she's somebody, but I don't know who <laughs> she is. But yeah, and I mean that's that's kind of the cool thing is, um, yeah, I, I mean you just never know. I mean, hell, you know the since we've you know started the podcast and um, you know are able to do the press stuff, it's kind of cool, you know, just some of the the interviews and folks that you just get a chance to sit down and interact with and the stories and you know like guests will show up and the you know interviewers won't quite be there you know i mean i i talked to a lady that you know builds you know electronics into cosplay and everything else and you know the person that was supposed to be interviewing her didn't show up i talked to her for 20 minutes i was like damn should have just recorded that like you know (laughs) And that's the thing too. I, I've got to give you a uh, uh, props because I said due to the scheduling conflict, I had to go in and do two interviews solo. And you know, I never you know do the talking and run the equipment. But you know, normally we sit down. It's like I have no problem talking to people. I mean, you're there even if you don't say anything in an interview. You're still there. So it's like. I don't know, I guess I have a little more confidence when it's both of us. When it's like just me and somebody else, I'm like, oh shit, let this is it's getting on. But then again, like I said, when we were doing interviews all the times, you might have like one or two questions, but I can see you sit down with a complete stranger and have a twenty minute conversation. No, we just need to stick a microphone in front of you and let you do a couple solo interviews because you have no problem going up and talking to a complete stranger for like a long time. It's just throw a microphone on you and you shut up when we're (laughs) doing interviews well i mean you know part of it is but then again you are like checking the doing some technical wizardry over there while we're i mean you know part of it too is just the 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 fact that you know somebody shows up and you know you find the icebreakers right and it's like okay i don't really know much about building costumes but then you start talking about electronics and servos and you know like Oh yeah, I'm familiar with RC cars and stuff like that. And then you know you can kind of build from there and be like, hey, you find that common ground. And uh, that if I run out of steam in an interview, I know I can always throw to you for like at least one or two questions while my brain catches up with other things to ask. What's going on? When there, but when there's no no one there, I'm like, all right, let me let me. I got I got to keep this going. (laughs) Because I mean, I think there were a couple of you know instances where we were scheduled with guests, and there was some email mix-ups and some technical difficulties on, yeah, you so... know, the Dragon Con side. So, who was supposed to be our interviewee was not the person yeah, that you know was when, scheduled at that. When time. When we got our schedule, there was, you know, three interviews scheduled for Friday before Brad got there. That I was on my own, so I'm like, all right. Let me do a ton of research and know what I'm going into since I'm going to be the only one there. And somehow there was an email mix-up, a, a glitch in the matrix. So the email that went out that confirmed interview times didn't go to the people that they had sent me confirmations that I would be interviewing. So for my first two interviews, a random guest showed up that was not on my list that I had not done any kind of research on. And it wasn't even one we had requested, but I was like, Hey man, I'm here. You're here. I still need to generate content. Give me like one minute, do a quick Google search and we'll talk. And I think they turned out fairly good for spur of the moment. No research (laughs) interviews, which you'll hear some of those later on. And that's kind of the cool thing, you know, is being able to just, you know, roll with the punches and, um, you know, not, (coughs) I mean, it's serious, but at the same time, like, you know, you're able to get 
you know, folks to relax, find some common ground, break the ice, and, you know, just see what happens. And, you know, that's, you know, people talk, you know, why do you podcast, you know, <laughs> or why do this thing? You know, it's not like you guys are, you know, nerdist or something making, you know, hundreds <laughs> of dollars. So why invest, you know, the hours, you know, it, and it's like, well, one, we enjoy it. Two, you just never know what's going to land in your lap. And, you know, that that's kind of the cool thing. I don't know. You know, podcasting to me is a lot like playing poker. <laughs> it becomes a game of psychology. <laughs> yeah, you don't have to actually know what you're talking about. Just be confident in what you're saying. <laughs> Make it sound like you know what you're talking about. <laughs> Make sure to use the buzzwords and the hashtags. You'll do fine. <laughs> Said every news media outlet ever. Hashtag fake news. <laughs> Ah, uh, yes. Um, so, any... So, uh, all right, go ahead. No, I was going to say, um, overall atmosphere of con. I, I I noticed, or my perception was, this year seemed to be a little bit tamer. Now, maybe the parties are a little bit more dispersed and that type of thing, but... Um, you know, just in venturing and interacting with, uh, you know, the, the convention, um, definitely, you know, saw some scantily costumes, but not to the extent that I've seen in years past. I mean, people keep talking about this push to make Dragon Con more family friendly. What is your take? Cause I, I mean, <clears throat> like the. The Hilton is kind of turned into the new party scene with the like DJs going all day and and all night, and we only ventured over there a couple of times, uh, so maybe that's where all the the craziness went on. But uh, yeah, it did seem a little more relaxed. Even though there's eighty five thousand people, it didn't seem as crowded and chaotic as it has in in years past. I don't know. Maybe maybe we're all getting old, and like I mean, this is the first year I could probably join the. Dragon Con After 40 Facebook group, and that kind of saddens me a little. <laughs> it's maybe maybe it was like, because really the only night we went out hard was uh, was that Saturday night. We, we, we just weren't out late enough for like any real good debauchery. Yeah, I, I don't know, you know, I mean, I, I'm, that, not, I I'm, not, I'm not saying it's a negative or a positive, I'm just saying that there, to me, just the overall ambience, there was a little bit of a different vibe this year. Um, You know, just that and I think too with uh, you know just about every TV I I walked past had the impending hurricane news on and there was a lot of people that were from you those know, coastal cities that were and everything about the uncertainty uh, and there was definitely people checking out like early Sunday because they were afraid they were going to get home and get trapped in a hurricane since they were already evacuating Florida at that time so there was a lot of people trying to maybe yeah, sneak out a little, little and stuff so little early um I. So one thing I want to bring up is, um, you know, I people talk about Saturday. Yes, you got the parade. You've got the high influx of people. How do you deal with Saturday? You know, I saw a lot of folks just say, Saturday's my day off. I don't venture out into the con <laughs> because I know that no matter where I go, it's just going to be massive amounts of people. But I kept seeing over and over the line management complaints for America's Mart. And... I gotta say, 
I don't really agree. I, I, I think people were letting their perceptions yeah, because overrule, we... you know, the ability to just jump in line and go with the flow. And, you know, because we hopped in line and, yes, it was a long line. Yeah, it was like the longest line I'd but ever seen. that but line never 20, stopped moving. What, 30 minutes in yes. line? I mean, it was, like I said, we were constantly, I mean, it was probably a good mile, two mile <laughs> line. Because when we got in, anyone who's familiar with the Dragon Con, it started at the Westin, went around uh, America's Mart 1, all the way down to America's Mart 2, and then around that building and almost back up to where we started. <laughs> but yeah, it was like... 30 minutes, you know, to get through all that. I mean, I think a lot of people saw that, you know, there was, like, one uh, one area where you had to do, like, this snake thing in the middle of a street. And I think a lot of people saw that. That was just... the biggest tease, because we're like, hey, we're almost here, because we're right there in front of the door, and they're like, oh, no, this is the line to get into the line, because now it goes around the other building. <laughs> but, I mean, you know, I, I think that goes to say, you know, for any Dragon Con, you know, newbies that are, you know, just... Deer, dealing with the sheer amount of people is, you know, at some point, like, I almost think of Dragon Con like I think of a theme park, right? You can walk from attraction to attraction to attraction and just look at all the long lines and never do anything yeah. uh, because all you've done is bypass stuff or you just jump in a line, go with it, and, you know, make the most of, you know, the limited time available. Um, and, you know, some of the newbies, too, will look and see these lines that go around the hotel and be like, oh, I'm probably not going to get into the thing I want to see. I'm just not even going to bother. Whereas these main ballrooms that the big celebrity panels are in are massive and hold a lot of people. So even though the the line may go out the door and around the block, odds are you're if you're patient, you're going to get in. I yeah, mean, and and I'll, I will say, too, that, you know, most of the time, the volunteers doing the lines, that's not their first rodeo. Like, you know, I, I know we were in line uh, for the Once Upon a Time panel. And, yep. you know, they're like, oh, this line hasn't even begun to wrap. You know, it can go around the building, you know, yeah. one complete time before we ever even, you know, start telling folks, hey, there's a potential that you may not make it into this panel. So, you know, but a lot of folks just saw the line that we were in, which wasn't much, and were like, oh gosh, no, no, there's no way we're getting in, you know? And it's like, no, that's that's not the case at all. Like, No, yeah, there's plenty of room. Yes. The only line we got in that was kind of squirrely was the concert lines on Saturday night because there just wasn't enough people kind of controlling it. Well, and I, a I, DJ party broke out in the middle of the line, so I, the I line was going that's... right through a party, which kind of... <laughs> added some chaos to it. And I think that, you know, I, I got nothing wrong with the parties and, you know, that kind of stuff. But, you know, like if... I do think that at some point where, like, if you've got major, you know, gaps and stairwells and obstructions, like, probably need more than just one person trying to... Yeah, that Imperial you know, Ballroom line gets a little <laughs> a little out, out of hand. But orchestrate that. You one, know. You know, once it opened up, we had no problem getting in, and there was, like I said, plenty of plenty of seating for those two concerts we went to. And overall, i got to give props, too, because, you know, as as those lines start to move, you know, then 
the traffic that is out on, you know, the hotel floors is like, what's this line moving, you know? And they'll try to shuffle in and stuff like that. And it's like, no, lines, you know. Yeah, there was security the people hell? blocking them going, yeah. no, if you want in, you know, follow the trail to the end because you're not, these people are waiting for an hour. You're not going to like, yeah, Bogart. So, you know, you know, I, I, I don't know. I, I never really have any major complaints, you know, I guess maybe because before we were doing press, I mean, we would oftentimes volunteer for security or, you know, other services at con just to try to offset some of the expense and having those experiences, you see that there's a lot more people than there are volunteers and you can never have enough volunteers. It's like I talked to, uh, Norm, uh, our buddy Norm, who's been on a couple episodes, like about a week before con, he's like, I was like, are you ready? He's like, no, I am feel like I'm totally shorthanded. I'm like, yeah, but that's like an every year thing. You should be used to that by now. <laughs> You're never going to have the amount of people you want to have, which I've not talked to him since con wrapped up. So I haven't got to hear the, any of his Dragon Con after dark, like weird stories of, of shit he saw this year. But, <laughs> but yeah, and, oh, Another funny costume, because, you know, the, unfortunately we've gotten the bad news that Sony has pulled Spider-Man from the MCU, and there was a lot of joke costumes about the missing Spider-Man. I saw one guy, when we were waiting in line, walking around in a full Spider-Man outfit with, like, shackles and irons on and a sign that said, Property of Sony. <laughs> oh, and it was like I said, there was a... Quite a few, uh, saw a lot, surprisingly, a lot of Magnum PIs, which <laughs> I was like, are you really surprised? The one thing that I, I'm kind of disappointed I did not get to see that I didn't see till Instagram later. Cause it was a cigar guy. There was a full on boss hog in the white suit with the Stetson hat and a cigar walk, walking around with a Roscoe <laughs> and a Smokey and the Bandit for some reason. But I was like, that was like the most badass boss hog outfit I think I've seen. Yeah, I saw a lot of that. Um, I was like, so, I want to buy a white suit now. <laughs> yeah. Um, oh, the the announcer guy from Spider Man. You know, uh, announcer guy. Uh, J-, J. Jonah Jameson. Yes, yes. <laughs> uh, did see a couple of him. Um, you know, those are always fun. Um, so uh, yeah, I mean, you know, overall. No, no complaints. I, I, I don't know. I mean, I, I guess for me, like the, the weather is always a big factor, you know, yeah. and you know, just that can, that can absolutely be a make or break for you know, how you know a a convention goes, especially when you're outdoors as much as you are during Dragon Con. Like, yes, you can take. Habit trails and, you know, sky bridges and remain indoors for the most part if you choose to go that route. But me personally, I prefer to get out on the streets and uh, <laughs> I did see off the beaten path a group of speaking of impromptu costumes. I did see a group of because it was a bunch of Cobra Kai guys there this year uh, since Daniel San and uh, and uh, whatever uh, Johnny and the, you know, the sensei was was all there, which. That's one of the things that kind of disappointed me. I wasn't able to see them. Every time I went by the autograph room, they were in a panel or something, and I never, I never made it to their panel. But I said one night I saw a bunch of guys. I mean, with how a, dare you go to a convention and not remain at your table twenty-four-seven? <laughs> how dare you? But there was three guys dressed, and they'd made like homemade karate geese, uh, Cobra Kai guys. But they were 
Hilton, Marriott, and Hyatt robes that they had gotten. <laughs> they were walking around with the with the karate uh, karate suits made out of uh, Marriott robes. <laughs> I was like, "That's inventive." Yes, uh, I, I, you know. Of the celebrity, I did see. I, yeah, I'm, I've kind of gotten into that uh, Winona Earp show. I, I never did get to see Winona herself. I did see Deputy Hot and and Rosalita, and then we also I'm big uh, Arrowverse fans. I did see Captain Lance. I saw uh, the guy who plays Constantine and the guy who plays uh, Nate uh, Citizen Steel. Those they were cool. And like I said, I mean, you know, you actually got an autograph from Robert England, so getting to see Freddy Krueger like up close is like. Oh, this is like the thing of my childhood nightmares. <laughs> yeah, I uh, I, I don't know. I mean, I there, there's still a couple of horror icons left that you know I, I definitely want to try to get. You know, Sid Haig being one. Um, Which he's on the wall behind me over here. I I did finally meet, meet him yeah, at one point. I, I I don't know. I mean, I just you know the whole Captain Spaulding thing, especially now that uh you know we've got you know the new devil's rejects in the works and trailers releasing and i'm getting amped up for that uh oh the other great thing i saw was the the independence day group there was a guy dressed as the president from independence day and he had a will smith in the flight suit dragging the parachute with the alien in it you know and i had to do a double take yeah i was like damn is that will smith <laughs> I mean, like... he was good <laughs> yes but he had a bullhorn it was in the middle of the hyatt lobby doing the independence day speech to the crowd <laughs> And it was glorious. I mean, everyone's like, yeah, America. With the random dildo <laughs> bot thing, like, off to the far right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it was just like... Uh, so was there any panels or guests you got to see other than Robert England that uh, you enjoyed? Well, I mean, that's the thing, right? Like... It, it's like, we do so much roaming around, we Dragon don't make Con it to that many panels. Dragon Con is weird, is, you know, like... There's panels, yes. There's celebrities, yes. But oftentimes, like, what, we catch one, two, maybe three panels over the course of a weekend, you know? Yeah, I think I made it like three I mean, or most four. of the time it's it. like, hey, we can probably get into this. It'll be cool and not super packed. So, you know, panels are kind of a way to decompress and just get off the feet for a bit, you know? <laughs> yeah. It's like, um,. I, I I don't know. I mean, for me, like, I don't necessarily go because of the celebrity draw aspect of yeah, things. Yeah, there's definitely so many people that go there that hit as many panels as they can that are, you know, there to enjoy their fandom. And even some of the smaller fan-run panels about shows that aren't necessarily has the celebrity guest in them, some of those are, are very interesting. And then there's people like us that just kind of go to hang out and socialize with, you know, 85,000 nerds and smoke cigars and have an occasional drink and, and just talk to the people we don't, you know, normally get to hang out with on a daily basis. Yeah. I mean, that's only a, make it to a couple panels. I, I, I don't know. I mean, that's, that's the beauty of dragon con is yes, you won't get to do everything that you want to do, but there'll be so much that you do that you didn't realize you wanted to do yeah. that, you know, kind of takes place. Like I don't, you know, like I, I, very rarely, you know, yeah, during the heart of con, you'll see a lot of people try to take to social media to, you know, gripe and complain. And, you know, that just comes with the territory, right? Um, but by and large, like, this is a con that you make it what you want it to be. And, you know, so much of that just has to do with 
your mentality and your thought process going into it. So if you're one person that, you know, is if I don't make this one panel, then my weekend's ruined and there's no coming back from it, then, you know, it's going to be a tough sell. But, you know, if you can go with the flow and just, you know, I, I don't know, get consumed by, you know, everything that is the con, then, I mean... Yeah, we've had so much fun just running into random people or even walking into a panel or a concert that we knew nothing about. We're just like, here's something for us to do for an hour. Let's go see what this band well, I is. I mean, that was a highlight, I mean, that you was know, like the first um, talking from... to Spree last year, see, seeing Cybertronic well, Spree Well, I mean, we, we went from blindly stumbling into Cybertronic Spree last year to this year actually getting to interview the band and, you know, seeing the concert. I mean, I got to say, like, the MC Chris show last year was good. This year... He took it up like 12 notches. Yeah, I mean... And, you know, having his son out on stage and, you Yeah, know, he was lucky he was having fun. Yes, like... I mean, there's been times where I've seen him, like, I stopped following him on social media for a while because he just got kind of very political, but wasn't a bit of, like, politics this year. Like I said, he brought his son, and he's like, this is the first time my son gets to see what I do for a living. <laughs> and his son kept coming out on stage, he kept handing him the mic, and like, say hello to the crowd, he'd be like, hi crowd! <laughs> and and like, I mean, MC just legitimately looked like he was uh, enjoying himself this year. Uh, and yeah, you know, he even walked by his booth at one point, and I'm like, yo MC, you were hot. And he's like, yeah, goes the thumb, the thumbs up, and yeah, so I, I'm I'm glad to see him like enjoying, and that was, he put on a damn good show uh, that, that night. I mean, I, I, you know, I don't know, and I mean, I think the... I don't know if he comes with like a preset, you know, hey, these are the songs I'm doing or, you know, what. But, you know, I felt like his song selection, I mean, he had stuff that was newer, some of his older, you know, yep. classic, just, you know, all over the spectrum. And I mean, it was a rocking good show. And last year we missed uh, Steam Howard Giraffe. And that was one of the things I wanted to see this year. And we, we ended up showing up late and caught maybe like the last half of the show. They put on a damn good live show. I was, I, like I said, I've never, se I've seen them on the YouTubes, but I've never actually gone to a, a Steam Howard Giraffe show. And, and I said, I can see why they're such a big draw at con. I mean, I hope they continue to come back because they put on a hell of a show this year. Oh yeah, absolutely. I don't know. I think, you know, for, you know, Cybertronic Spree, like, you know, th they need a, a full sound production, you know, uh, <laughs> suite, you know, cause I, there's just so much going on there, and it seemed like, you know, there were some struggles just getting, you know, the the vocals and the drums and everything else kind of dialed in. But once, you know, they were able to work through that, I mean, it was a phenomenal show. The first time I'd, you know, actually seen a band perform Ghostbusters live, and that was freaking amazing. Yeah, they did like a rockin' version of that, too. And his intro to that song was hilarious, too, because you think he's like, he's like, there's a bunch of guys running around in white sheets trying to scare us all and... and and, you know, kind of divide us, but we can't be divided. You know, ghosts. <laughs> and we're like, what? <laughs> yeah. He's it like, fuck ghosts. <laughs> I was like, that's funny as shit. <laughs> I mean, it was a great lead-in. And, and that's uh, the first time we, like, so we saw them last year, but this is the first time, I mean, we were like three people from the stage. We were right up front. So it was the first time I've actually got to really observe them as musicians. And I was kind of impressed, because especially there's one guy dressed as uh, Soundwave, and I always thought he was just a hype man because you see him running out on stage, throwing balloons and dancing. But literally, RC, who is the keyboardist, does a lot of lead vocals on some. Her and Hot Rod kind of share lead vocals. So anytime she'd be in the middle of playing a song 
and then just step away to like grab the mic and sing, he would jump in and pick up playing right where she left off, like with with no like you know breaks or nothing. It was like just like boom, just jumped right in and picked up right where she left off. I'm like that was kind of impressive for me the way they just switched. And that's out one of like the that. reasons why you know shows like that. I like to try to get up close because you know as you'll hear you know when we drop the the interview but you know as a musician myself like i could not imagine putting on a show to that level you know without one ever breaking character or two just you know having the gloves and everything else on the hands that they do and yet they never miss a beat with the instruments and yeah. you know that that to me is like especially unicron i mean unicron freaking shreds and he's in like the biggest costume of them all i mean i i would just be like i'm so restricted my fingers you know aren't going to be as nimble and everything else so pulling off these solos and things like that it's just like you know Hey, you know, mad props. And that's the greatest part about interviewing them, too. If you know, You'll hear it when we get to the... They don't break character. They are Autobots and Decepticons. They do not admit to having human parts at all. <laughs> so it's like, you know, we can't go in and talk to, like, a couple of dudes. It's like, no, we're talking to the Transformers. <laughs> Which, you know, just adds a little little extra fun to the interview. Yes, absolutely. Uh, some, some challenges as well, because it's like... I want to ask you so much about the human side that you know, <laughs> doesn't exist because yeah. you're robots. <laughs> yeah, we gotta we gotta word our uh, questions about instruments so in, in our, a robot uh, frame. So yeah, I, I don't know. They put on a rocking good show. Um, I think that's too good to be true. It's, it's got to be Skynet. <laughs> Music is a universal language, and which that was one of our. To, uh... <laughs> well, I, I'm sure Skynet like nicks that interview because we had an interview with a guy who runs a uh, artificial intelligence company and I, I, uh, my paranoid Skynet questions that I always do during the science set. I'm like, finally I can ask a guy about these and he canceled at the last moment. So I was like, I think Skynet just told him, no, these guys are going to bust us. Don't, don't talk to them. <laughs> oh, I didn't pack any tin foil either. So, I mean, that, that, <laughs> I mean, but that's, that's one of the things that I love. I, I, I love, you know, being able to talk to, you know, the science advisors behind films and, you know, TV shows and stuff like that, especially, you know, when it comes to disaster films, you know. So, yeah. you know, you're you're actually talking to a geologist about, you know, volcanoes and shit like that. And they're telling you, yeah, this scene here, completely fake. That would not have happened. Or, you know, this here... Uh, absolutely plausible um have not actually seemed a body consumed by lava but have to say that based on experience and how lava reacts probably accurate <laughs> <laughs> yeah <clears throat> did, see, did see a sharknado costume speaking of disaster movies <laughs> Which is funny because we, you know, from if you listen to our last Have episode, we already missed Shark Week. I feel like that's probably I think so. A... But from our last episode where we talked about the boys and the deep and his, uh, did his, see uh... several uh, costumes from this series. Yeah, that was another one that I really wanted to see. I never, never could make it to the panel. Was uh, Keith Urban? I already got Keith Urban. <laughs> Fucking Carl Urban. <laughs> but I saw a couple good Homelander costumes. But I saw a guy run around with an inflatable dolphin. And I was like, whoa, is it the deep? Not turned out to be some guy from Sea Lab. But still, like. <laughs> If you dress up next year as the Deep, you have to bring an inflatable dolphin. I think that's going to be required. <laughs> yeah, I, uh, I don't know. I mean, still, 
that series is just one that, you know, completely caught me off guard, did not know what I was getting into with that, and, you know, was pleasantly surprised and a little bit disturbed. Oh, did you see anything in the dealer's hall that uh, really stood out for you this year? The one There was one booth that I've... They weren't selling anything, it was just a booth, but it was the uh, Ripley's the Believe It or Not... Or, uh, yeah, the Void, too, but the Ripley's Believe It or Not... Uh, Museum had a display with a couple items from from their collection. They had an Iron Maiden, and they even had uh, Luke Skywalker's original lightsaber. And I was like, oh, "That's fucking cool." I mean, that was the other thing too, like walking around the <laughs> dealer's hall, um, you know, seeing the original Red Power Ranger. Um, who else was there? I think the Yellow Power Ranger. Uh, it was a couple of the Power Rangers, like yeah. that weren't in the autograph room. They had their own little booth in out the dealer's hall, which was like, "Oh shit, what are y'all doing here?" Um, you know, I, I don't know. I, I, I think for me, oftentimes, like when it comes to the vendor hall, I, I feel like I see a lot of the same stuff, but I always like the, the custom built crafting booths, you know, yeah. where either it's leather workers or, you know, people that, you know, are making different style of bandoliers or belts or, you know, pieces that, you know, can enhance a costume, or it's like, oh, you want to go full pirate? Well, oh, yeah, the you pirate. know, he, he, here you go. We yeah, got I've, everything I've pirate stuff related. From the, like... from the pirate uh, piratefashions.com. Uh, Their booth's always got some cool shit. And even the, like I said, that one leather maker, which I bought a, a flask and a flask holster from them last year. And going through uh, the, not only the uh, the art show, which has always got some cool stuff, but just the artists and pop out. Uh, pop, pop, pop artist alley, you know, and some of the original artwork they got there. Like I saw one, uh, I can't remember, um, I can't remember his name. You'll have, to look. but the guy does a series of Star Wars paintings where the action is kind of in the reflection. It's like a close up of somebody's helmet, and then there's like a little painting within the reflection of their eyes. And it was Commander Cody uh, helmet, and you could see the the hologram of the emperor given order 66, like reflected in his glasses. I thought that was a cool, uh, a cool, um, painting. One that I saw that was really cool was, um, an interesting take on shadow boxes and they were like multi-layered. So, you know, it, it was would a be, Tarama or something like yeah, that. you know, it would be scenes from either video games <laughs> or movies, but you know, the way that they were done is each little bit was, you know, Kind of multi-layered, multi-layered, like a 3D look. and you know, just look phenomenal. Yeah, because they had one. It was like from the opening of the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles game, where it's like they're all on a rooftop, and you see a building burning in the background. I'm like, that is one I almost wanted to wanted to pick see, up. I would love that, but that game frustrated me to high hell. <laughs> like there were so many jumps that would be like, that's that's impossible. Or what should have been a jump that's like, oh no, you just run across that. You know, if you try to jump, you're gonna die. Or like that game just you know so frustrating <laughs> like i uh i've been watching a guy um like angry video game nerd or something like that you know and he's going back and reviewing like all these 8 bit games and it's like no wonder like i was so frustrated as a kid like trying to play nintendo like <laughs> oh yeah and if you hear any coughing in the background we're i'm still fighting off the remnants of con crud which is see i souvenir I, half of us get from dragon con every year i i, I think i did good because i um <laughs> i got my sickness prior to con which is a good thing but 
unfortunately, the crud struck Amanda, what was it, Saturday night, and then started getting you... Yeah, like Sunday night. Late into Sunday, and... Oh, yeah, and like the first part of this week was <laughs> was rough. So, yeah, d- you know, bringing uh, hand sanitizer is a, a thing you definitely should uh, <laughs> should bring. Well, I feel like, you know, with, with Khan and maybe one of the survivor guides is, you know... Take any immune-boosting supplements you can. Like, start that shit, like, you know, a week or two ahead of con. Yeah, take some emergency, like, every day. You know, I mean, I just kind of feel like it goes without saying. Um, You know, a lot of people, a lot of surfaces, a lot of (laughs) of items and things being touched by... Things are sticky. (laughs) (laughs) Very much so. Holy... And here's a here's a random question we got from somebody. Is it okay to share a cigar? <laughs> yeah, I mean that was um that w- that was different and you know, I mean I I, I think the consistency we came was no. <laughs> generally I would say no. I mean if it's, you know, a girlfriend or something, hey, I'm not really into cigars, that smells good. Can I try? Okay, that's that's probably different, but you know I'm not. Yes, just... But I better be having sex with the person before they put their mouth on my cigar. <laughs> I mean, I'm okay with you know. You put your mouth wherever you want to put your mouth. I, I, I mean, I'm probably not going to be that discriminatory about it. You know, I mean, just <laughs> and oh. that took a turn for the worst. Uh... Uh, so any like you know. <clears throat> Like, uh, we've, we've talked about the good. I mean, any, any negatives you saw this year? I, I really don't think I saw anything that like stood out as like, yeah, that's kind of messed up. <laughs> no, I mean, I, you know, once again, I, 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 you know, following social media throughout the course of con and stuff like that, you see, you know, a lot of folks griping and, you know, complaining. I think a lot of that just weeds itself out you know a lot of folks um you know i i think they like to try to play our game a troll versus asshole a lot of people are just assholes um you know um i think what they battle is you know their own perceptions or whatever um you know i i don't know i mean i don't ever really put myself in a position at con to really have uh any complaints i don't think i mean um you know a lot of people feel like oh it should be like comic-con they need to start capping ticket sales and everything else i i don't really feel any of that i mean it is a you know convention put on by fans for fans um you know, it's not like, you know, some of the other conventions that, you know, are strictly just money grabs where every panel, every, you know, opportunity to meet a celebrity or something else is going to cost. I mean, you can... And even ha- in the, the autograph room, everything seemed reasonably priced. I mean, there was a few bigger celebrities that <clears throat> had uh, premium prices on their autographs, but everything else was 20 to 40 bucks on average, which not outrageous how you're gonna pay that much if you uh buy an autograph (coughs) yeah i mean you know that's kind of the thing right i mean if you want an opportunity to meet folks or you know that type uh, yeah i mean you should be compensating for their time i mean you know 
If it's a, I, I, I guess the longest uh, line that I saw, um, no surprise, probably George, uh, what's his Takai. name? Takai. Takai, <clears throat> yeah, you know, Star Trek. I mean, yeah, you're going to pay a premium, you know, but, I mean, how many other opportunities do you have in Atlanta to meet the guy? <laughs> exactly. <clears throat> <clears throat> All right, Joe, you over your death spell? Yeah, a little bit. <laughs> All right, I don't remember what we were talking about. Damn concred. Um, yeah. Uh, I'll tell you, one of the cool things I saw, too, uh, was uh, a a con staple. He's there every year, George Lowe, famously the voice of Space Ghost on Adult Swim. Somebody stopped and gave him a cigar and a ribbon from the Dragon Con Cigar Group, and I saw a picture people posting photos of him later and him, like, you know, Posing with the cigar in his mouth for <laughs> some of his photo ops. I'm like, that's a cool dude. We need to get him to actually come to the uh, the meetup one year. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I will say that a um, another pleasantry is, um, you know, I guess Atlanta having the Super Bowl and some of the technology upgrades I may or may not have had a hand in in the Atlanta area. Cell phone signal and Wi-Fi, 100% better this year. Oh, yeah, because normally... My phone doesn't work below the lobby level of the Hyatt, and I was able to use my phone all the way down in the basement at the uh, interview room. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so, I mean, yay for uh, for being able to use technology on the fly. <laughs> yeah, especially those random interviews I do. Good thing Google was operational, or I would have been in trouble. Ah, so with that, any final thoughts on... DragonCon 2019. I'm ready for 2020. Yep, hopefully we'll get our approval again for next year. If not, we'll still be there. We'll just pay for it. <laughs> so <laughs> Definitely see us hanging out and, and smoking up if as long as the law allows. If not, we're going rogue, man. We'll do it anyway. <laughs> um, Wakanda forever. They, they can't keep us all down. Um, can't stop, won't stop. Final thoughts on the cigar. Um, nice, medium blend, uh, flavorful. Um, yeah, it's definitely got a, some uh, some Lajero in there. I do like a little strength kick, but it's not. Uh, it's not overpowering. It's despite subtle. my coughing, that's you know <laughs> medically induced and not due to this fine cigar. Yes, absolutely. So uh, with that. Um, We'll be back with some of uh, Joe's interviews, um, <laughs> and after that, uh, some News. promos from you know some of the other shows here on the networks, and then we'll wrap it up with some nerd news. Yeah, news. <laughs>
it's time for blowing smoke. And welcome back to the Cigar Nerds Podcast. I'm here with best-selling award-winning author Keith DeCandido. 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 So, you know. Everybody gets it wrong, it's fine. Thank you. So, uh, how many years have you been coming here to... Uh, as of this year, my attendance at DragonCon is old enough to drink. Uh, my, my first time here was 1998. Uh, I was actually here partly as a musical guest. Uh, the band I was with at the time, which was called the Don't Quit Your Day Job Players, was invited to be a musical guest at DragonCon uh, back in 98. And I also did a few panels. I had just started my career as an author. Uh, my first novel was also published in 1998. So um, I was, and I'd already had some short stories published prior to that, so I did some author panels as well, and I just kept coming back. Um, <clears throat> it's it's become a major one of my favorite conventions to go to and I, i've only missed a couple of years due to external circumstances uh that have come up over the years but uh i, I try to get it back here every year yeah, dragon con's one of those it's like a good mix of like all fandoms it's like oh yeah people are like well what do you do i'm like well there's like i don't know how many different tracks i'm like so you yeah. will find something you like <laughs> it's not so much one convention is about 15 conventions or more actually i think all yeah, just like happening to take place in the same spot and and i'm jumping around to all of them this weekend it feels like so and uh, just <clears> looking <throat> at your uh your panel list you're kind of doing a little bit of everything you're you're you know, primarily an author, but I see you're doing a practical self-defense panel as yes, well. Yes, that's a work. That's a workshop. Uh, it's it's. Uh, I'm also a third degree black belt in karate, and um, I, the I found that people like, and it's been useful to to show people just some basic uh, methods of defending themselves against a physical assault. It's nothing complicated. It's nothing that requires <laughs> any training. It's all basic stuff, uh, just in case somebody gets too close or. or puts yeah, their hands you on know, you without consent stereotypically you know it's, they're always showing the nerds getting bullied and there's a lot of yeah. us here uh yeah <laughs> so there's also plenty of people who are capable of taking care of themselves but uh, this there's is not guys so much like them, us that are yeah. you know, yeah, yeah. You so. know got black belts and they're yes. like you picked on the wrong nerds <laughs> <laughs> so what what's say a key to self-defense for for like a someone who's not oh honestly the the main the the, to try to get away as quickly as possible and that's true for somebody who is trained too um the the, there was the gijin funakoshi who's the pretty much the the father of modern japanese karate uh okinawan karate specifically always refused like he was challenged to be fought all the time and he always just walked away and and he always said you know the best the best defense is to get away as quickly as possible yeah i mean um the the all all everything that i do in the workshop always ends with and then run away um, because a, a, a combat is by nature chaotic. Yep. Yes, the be- ninety-nine times out of a hundred, the better fighter will win, or maybe ninety times out of a hundred. But you don't want to be in one of those other ten times. Exactly. You know, I've been in I've been in fights when I first started sparring. Uh, I didn't I didn't start uh, martial arts until I was thirty-five, um, and so I came a little late to it. <laughs> and, and prior to that, I'm a writer. I sat at a computer all day, so I was I was you know. I was I was overweight. I was underpowered. I was I had, I had the stamina of an asthmatic ant, and my doctor told me maybe I sh- you should try exercising. You know, once, and so I took it. And and when I first started sparring, I was fighting people who like won international fighting tournaments, yeah. and they were going easy on me, obviously. But every once in a while, I'd get like a kick to the solar plexus, and that was like a great moment. Um, Feels and, really good when yeah, you kick someone who's but, higher ranked than yeah, you. Yeah, I landed that. <laughs> and, and but the point is that can happen. You know, even somebody who doesn't know what they're doing can get lucky and get a shot in and, and cripple you or at least, you know, take you out for a second. And it's not worth it's not worth the risk. Um, the and best bet to is to just get... is not be there when it happens. Exactly. Yes. <laughs> so. Uh, so, like I said, you're primarily a writer and, you know, have, how many books? Uh, uh, over 50 novels out. 
And uh, it's, it's, I know this is a mix of, you know, uh, genre, like, uh, tie-in work. Like, uh, I've done also, a lot of media tie-in work. That's how I got also, started. Also, uh, um, you know, some original content. Mm-hmm. Uh, what's, say some highlights of, of your, your catalog there. So uh, I've written a lot of Star Trek novels, not so much recently, but from, uh, for the first decade of the 2000s, I, I was very prolific in the Star Trek program. Um, uh, including a, uh, a next generation, couple next generation novels that were very successful, uh, Time for War, Time for Peace, and Q&A. Uh, I wrote a novel called Articles of the Federation back in 2005, which was basically a Star Trek version of the West Wing. <laughs> um, it was a year in the life of the Federation president. It was looking at Federation politics in a way that had never really been done before. Uh, and it, it, it proved to be very influential. The, the character of President Don Baco, who I created uh, in an earlier novel and then chronicled in that book, uh, became a, a major supporting character in Star Trek fiction, written by, like, half a dozen other people. <laughs> uh, and, and the template I set up for Federation politics has been used in the Star Trek novels by pretty much all the other authors since then, which has been really cool. Um, I also wrote the Klingon art of war, which came out in 2015, nice. 2014, <laughs> uh, and a bunch of others. I've also written three supernatural novels based on that TV show. I just had an alien novel out called alien isolation, which is, uh, based on the 2014 video game. Uh, and it's part, and it's part of the whole general 40th anniversary of Alien thing that that Titan and Dark Horse have been doing, uh, with some uh, original characters, both Amanda Ripley from the game and also Zula Hendricks, who's a character created in the comics. Uh, Tim Wagner has a novel coming out later this year that focuses on Zula. Also, uh, both those characters are in a new Dark Horse comic called uh, Defiance, and um, so the, all sorts of stuff, different stuff they're doing. And they also did a, a new uh, uh, web series based on the Alien Isolation game as well. So. Yeah, that's an interesting game. Yeah, uh, it's funny. Every, a bunch of one of people found out I was doing this. A whole lot of Alien fans, particularly people who played the game, were saying, "So, so, so, is the novel entirely Amanda hiding in a closet?" Because that's what I did when I played the game. <laughs> uh, again, your know, best way to avoid a fight is not be there. Exactly. Yes, but uh, unfortunately, that doesn't make for an interesting novel. So no. I did not have her hiding in the closet. But uh, yeah, and I we've had a couple authors that have that have you know, wrote original works and have you know mm-hmm. worked in these like Star Trek and Star Wars and all that. What to you is is I guess easier or harder with working with an original idea versus playing in someone else's sandbox? It's it's really it's not that much different because you still have to come up with a story. You still have to have a story with a beginning and a middle and an end uh, where things happen to people. Um, that doesn't change regardless of whether you came up with the setting or not. Um, the the biggest difference is you have an extra layer of approval with tie-ins that you don't have with with your own stuff um you know i'm i'm the only one who will know if i get something wrong uh in the dragon precinct universe or the the adventures of brown gold or the super city cops or any of my other original stuff uh whereas there are people at cbs who will backstop me on star trek there are people at warner brothers who will backstop me on supernatural and so on and so forth so when you're when you're doing the tie-in like how much I guess freedom to create you have. Do they give you like a parameters or there, it's like as long as you don't cross these lines, you're good? There is no one answer to that question. It varies from kind license to license from... and sometimes from project to project. There, um, I mean, the like the Star Wars and Star Trek fiction are their own thing. They're 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 and that that's a much more uh, wide open, particularly with Star Trek because there's so many different forms of Star Trek mm-hmm. at this point. Um, you know, the Discovery novels, for example, are being very. They're actually working directly with the production staff. One of, one of the co-producers on Star Trek Discovery is Kirsten Beyer, who is a veteran Star Trek fiction writer. And she's also been doing a lot of the uh, work, working with the tie-in writers with both IDW and Simon and & Schuster to try and make those a little more closer to the show. That doesn't always happen. Um, it, 
there are some licensors who will give us completely free reign to do whatever the hell they want, and they don't care. There are some who micromanage it very carefully, uh, and everywhere in between. I did a World of Warcraft novel back in 2006 where I worked really closely with them on that. Uh, I was sending them like each chapter as I did it. Uh, <clears throat> others where the licensor really didn't give a damn, you know. Uh, and and like I said, everything in between. My favorite though was one time uh, my second Supernatural novel. I happened to finish it during the last writer's strike in Hollywood. So usually it was approved by somebody in the licensing department at Warner Brothers. But Eric Kripke, who was the, the executive producer of the show at the time and the creator of it, uh, at the point where I turned the novel in, he literally had nothing else to do because he was on strike. <laughs> so, so he wound up reading the novel. And, and after that, it was his office that did the approval. I don't know if that I – do, I don't know just because I didn't do yeah. any Supernatural novels after he left uh, EP duties – uh, so I don't know if his office was still handling it or if it was, went back to somebody in Warner Brothers, but at least for the duration of his reign as executive producer, it was somebody in his office approving it, which doesn't always happen. Um, you know, the, the, usually it's somebody in the licensing department. Sometimes it'll be somebody involved directly with making the show. It depends on the show. It depends on the showrunner. Every single license is different, and how much control they, they you, do over uh, it will vary. had a favorite universe to work in, and is there a universe you've not worked in that you would like to be able to do a tie-in with oh there's a the second one has a bunch of answers i <laughs> i i pitched a highlander novel back when there were highlander novels uh there were, there were like there was one slot they had one book left in the license and three different people sent pitches in and mine was not one of the ones that was taken unfortunately um and and it's i i would have loved to have done that the um i i would have loved to have written a homicide life on the street tie-in there were actually two novels uh two homicide tie-ins but they were written by jerome preisler who's a mystery writer which yeah, makes sense um <laughs> The uh, I would have loved to have done a Warehouse 13 novel. Um, there were a couple of those. Greg Cox wrote those, and Greg was a perfect choice for those. I would. Yeah, I love if, Warehouse if I was, 13. Those if, were, I was, if, those I was if I was editing, a, yeah. If I was editing Warehouse 13 novels, I would have hired Greg to do it. <laughs> um, uh, also, I, I did do a Leverage novel, so that was cool. Um, uh, I, I would have. I wouldn't have mind doing. I actually pitched a Battlestar Galactica novel when Tor had the license for the new uh, BSG, but that didn't go anywhere. Um, I, I wouldn't have mind doing a Babylon 5 novel. Uh, as for the favorite ones, probably the two favorite I've done just because, uh, in one case, it would be Star Trek just because I've been a Star Trek fan literally since birth. <laughs> uh, I grew up watching Star Trek reruns. Oh yeah, uh, that's in the where most of us got hooked yeah. on sci-fi because yeah. that was um, they were everywhere back then. Yeah, on, you know, and reruns um, even <laughs> even afterwards. Oh yeah, so that uh, that's what I grew up with, and and I always wanted to write Star Trek stories uh, from when I first started reading James Blish's adaptations uh, and and the DC comics and and uh, you know that that's and then I started reading the novels when I was a, when I was a teenager and and I that. Getting to write Star Trek fiction was always just a big yeah, thrill. Trek for me. always had, I mean, because it's always either Star Wars or Star Trek, but, but Star Wars you had to go to a theater because we didn't have like streaming back yeah, then. Right. <laughs> but where Trek was in your home yes. almost constantly yeah. in yeah. one form or another. So I think and, that one always has a soft spot with uh, with people. Yeah. The other one would be just because I got to do so much with it is Farscape. Uh, I wrote a Farscape novel and a couple short stories while the show was on the air. And then from 2008 to 2011, I wrote the Farscape comic book in collaboration with Rockne O'Bannon, who created the show. And we basically did season five of the show as a comic book. Nice. Uh, and so just getting to do that was, was wonderful. Um, so those would probably be my two. Is there like a, a different, I guess, writing muscle when you're writing for a comic book versus a, a novel? Oh, it's completely different. Um, for one thing, a comic is more collaborative because you're, you're, you're writing for an artist. Um, and the artist is, is telling the story as much as you are. 
uh, I was lucky in the in the with the Farscape comic in particular, and, and a couple of Star Trek comics I did. Um, I got to work with some really good artists who I was really on the same page with. Uh, Will Sliney is who I worked with on the Farscape uh, comics, as well as Joe Caroni. Uh, but I, most of my work I did with Will, and Will was great. Will uh, he's do, he's been doing Spider Man twenty ninety nine for Marvel and some other stuff lately. But <clears throat> excuse me, Will is a joy to work with, uh, and also Caleb Cleveland, who I did a couple Dargo miniseries with, was great, and on. Uh, I did a couple Star Trek comics with J.K. Woodward, who is an, who I love. J.K. and I are old buddies, you know. We we we, and and we love working together. And we haven't had a chance to do as often. I haven't done as much comics work. Uh, but the the biggest challenge with a, with a comic, particularly with um, you know a regular, the standard floppy size comic, you've got twenty two pages to tell the story, no more, no less. You're locked into that, and that really affects how you create the story. You have to shape it in such a way that it will fit in those twenty two pages. And I imagine um, with like when you're writing a novel, you have your visual imagery you have to actually write out yeah. when there's like a visual that kind of I guess cuts back a little bit on what you somewhat put yeah. on the page yeah and uh and and you know there are different storytelling needs for that plus in in a novel you can get inside a character's head to a degree you can't as much in a comic book um at least not, certainly not to the same extent so how did you get started in writing like you know what's your or uh, comic book origin story <laughs> I don't remember I the first thing I wrote was when I was six it was a little thing I did on construction paper called Reflections in My Mirror. Uh, I still have it. It's terrible. I was six. <laughs> but um, but I always wanted to write. That uh, My parents are librarians. My parents read to me as a kid. When I was able to read on my own, uh, the I was reading like Ursula Le Guin's Earthsea Trilogy and Heinlein's YA books uh, and The Hobbit. And uh, and also P.G. Woodhouse's Jeeves and Worcester stories. That was kind of like the first things I read on my own once I could read uh, my own stuff. And it it I always wanted to be somebody who made those kinds of stories. So that 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 urge was always there. Um, in terms of actually getting it, you know, people paying me for it, um, <laughs> that started right at as I finished college. Uh, I worked on. I did a lot of writing for uh, my college newspaper, and I was also an editor on it as well. That was when I discovered editing, which was great because I for the first eight years after college i worked as an editor uh both for magazines and for book publishers and um so that gave me somewhere to make a living until the writing took off and um but i always i always loved writing i did some nonfiction first i wrote a lot of reviews and news articles and interviews and stuff uh until 94 when at, working as an editor i wound up writing a short story um but <laughs> i have the most non-replicable first fiction <laughs> story because it was due to a very unique set of circumstances. I, from 1994 to 2000, I was the editor in charge of a line of Marvel Comics based uh, novels and short stories. Uh, prior to 2008, it was the most extensive uh, non-comic book version of a Marvel superhero line that anybody had done. Uh, there have been, been lots of, of Marvel novels, but they were all mostly standalone. We actually had like over 50 books that were actually their own thing. They were interconnected. Nice. They referred to each other. It was, it was one big continuity. Um, and, uh, and then Kevin Feige went and stole my thunder. But, yeah. <laughs> um, but I was really, pr I'm still very proud of, of the work we did on that. But uh, one of the first things we did was a Spider-Man anthology in 94 called the ultimate Spider-Man, which was six years before Marvel did their ultimate line. Just so, just so you know, uh, we had, a, we already had the cover done. And we had a, it was a framed image of Spider-Man in the middle with four of his villains on on the side. We had stories with three of those villains, but we didn't have a Venom story. And this is in 1994. Venom Venom was like the Spider-Man villain. Yeah. Uh, and so we had we we uh, we pitched like a whole bunch of different Venom stories. Marvel rejected them for one reason or other. And then finally we said, "What do you want to see?" And they gave us a sentence. And me and my co-editor at the time, John Betancourt, 
we didn't have time to assign it to anybody. So we just wrote it ourselves. <laughs> and that's how my first story was published. It was in order to make the cover work on a short story anthology. Well, as we kind so. of wrap up here, final question. Yes. Is there any advice uh, that you can give people who want to become writers? Yeah. You know, the, the next generation. Um, there's a lot. Uh, two things I would say that are the most important. One is, um, one of the most common things I hear is, I, I'd love to write if I could just find the time, as if time is something that rolled under the couch. Yeah. You're not going to find the time. You have to make the time. And it's hard. You know. Um, the, the other is to finish what you start. The ratio of stories that are started to stories that are finished is about 80 billion to 0.5. It's, it's, much, it's real easy to start a story. It's a lot harder to finish it. And it's work. That's the third thing. It's, you have to work at it. Um, it's, it's, you have to treat it like, it, like you would treat your job. Um, so yeah, and where can people find you, follow you? What's your newest thing they need to pick up? Uh, best bet is to go to decantado.net, which is a spectacularly primitive website, but it links to all the other places where I go online. (laughs) It's just basically a link dump page. Uh, it has ordering links for my most recent work. Uh, and it has links to my blog, which I maintain regularly, my Facebook page, uh, my Twitter feed, my Instagram account. Uh, I also do a lot of, uh, writing about pop culture for tour.com. Uh, including a rewatch of some superhero movies and uh, some other stuff. And I write regularly for them. There's links to that. Um, so that if you go to decandido.net, all the methods of cyber-stalking me are available there. <laughs> all so. right. Well, thank you for being here. Uh, thank you yeah. for having me. It's been a, been a great interview. Have a great con. And, thank uh, you. You too. We'll see you next time. Yes. <laughs> and now it's time for Blowing Smoke. Welcome back to the podcast. We are here with... Autobots, Decepticons, and intergalactic rock stars, the Cybertronic Spree. How you doing, guys? We are great. Welcome to us. Fantastic. Thank you. I'm fully functional. So is this your second time here at DragonCon? How are you liking it so far? Uh, this year is even better than last year. We just know what to do. Uh, the People know who we are. And everybody's super excited for tonight when we are going to literally blow the roof off the Marriott. I mean, it's it's you know a big big room, so it's it's going to take a lot. But I'm definitely think y'all y'all are up to it after seeing last year's show. So, is it uh, first question? You know, how hard is it to play human design instruments as a as a uh, big robot? It's uh, incredibly difficult. Uh, the first year we were a band, uh, it was just breaking instrument after instrument after instrument. It took us, yeah, about a year before we could actually calibrate and go, okay, this will last more than one song. Yeah, we we weren't very good that first year. Um, So we heard about this thing called practice. Yeah. We did that. Yeah, I still break things every now and then. Yeah, breaking things are fun. That's that's what you do. (laughs) It's accidental, though. So what um, you know made y'all put down the, the the cyber war and decide to you know rock out? It is the power of rock that brought us together, and specifically the Transformers the movie soundtrack, which, in our humble opinion, has never given or has never got the. Well, I mean, it's it lives in all of us, but it's never had the sort of live experience that we really thought we could bring to it. So we really wanted to show audiences um, what it was like to be around 1986. Yeah, for the, I had to wear my Cobra Kai shirts and keep it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> nice. Yeah, it's something about the soundtrack is we all loved it, and a lot of humans love it as well. But when you think about big soundtracks that are well loved, usually people don't rank it up there. But it's the best soundtrack there is, and we wanted to 
help put the spotlight on how great these songs actually are. I usually don't agree with Rumble, but what he just said, 100%. Absolutely. And I, I love all the, the 1986 Transformers songs. But you know, y'all have covered stuff outside of that soundtrack. Uh, I, I loved uh, your cover of "Immigrant Song." That oh. that rocked hard. Is there anything you haven't covered yet that you're looking forward to adding to your repertoire? Yeah, we have a, a very long list of titles that we want to do, and really, we started just looking at uh, things that we think. Eh, if you were a fan of Transformers the movie and you like that soundtrack maybe you'd really be into this other thing and this other thing and this other thing that was happening in the 80s and maybe this too. So, I mean, I think we've got, we sort of, we fight each other over what the next cover is going to be or what the next thing we're going to do is, but uh, we do have plans. So Yeah, but we, we like to surprise people. Yeah, yeah we're, we're not going to tell you. Nice try, though. <laughs> yeah, I, I got to try. Yeah. Brad's here's our resident musician. You got any, uh, any musical questions for them? I guess the biggest thing for me that I just couldn't get past when I saw you guys on stage last year was just robots playing human instruments. I, I can't even play with a pair of gloves. <laughs> like, you know, here you guys are, you know, just killing it, rocking. I mean, just absolute uh, bang. Especially the Unicron going from shredding plants to shredding guitars. I mean, it was yeah. insane. It was the only trade that he would accept. Yeah. So, yeah, he's got that eight strings now. And yeah, to watch that is, it, it's incredible. First off, thank you very much. That's kind of you to say. And as RC said, it takes a lot of practice. You know, our first year, we were still a little clumsy with earth instruments, but the more time we spend around them, the more we learn their, uh, you know, n learn of their delicate nature and how to best handle them. And you know, y'all are, you know, have performed all these songs, but now you're finally putting them on on a CD and, and re-releasing your version of the 1986 soundtrack. How did that, was that process for you and, you know, and where is it at now? Uh, it was really intense. I mean, we were, uh, we thought, oh, this will be fun. Let's do a tribute to Transformers the Movie soundtrack. We'll, we'll throw it down as a, a little Kickstarter and uh, we'll have it out in time for the anniversary of Transformers the Movie. And then it happened and we realized, crap. We have to do this really fast, and it's got to be good, like really good, because there's a lot of people thinking, this better be good, you're touching this classic. Oh, yeah. So yeah, there was a lot of pressure, but we had so much fun just coming together and figuring out what, you know, what change or what signature we bring to it and versus what you just cannot you know, change. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, it was, it was great. Yeah. yeah. It was a fun uh, album to mess with because when you're playing live, you can throw in all sorts of improvisational things, and we always like to do that. But when you're laying it down, that's the way people are going to be hearing it for years. So it was a little intimidating. We did several takes. We took a few stabs at different songs and different styles, and I feel that we came to uh, a pretty good balance of our sound versus the original and when I listen to it, it makes me feel pretty proud that we were able to even be a part of this project and very grateful that so many supporting fans felt that we would do justice to this music as well. So we originally wanted to have the CD out in August. We have the CDs. But we just need to mail them out now to the backers. But the digital album is out there and people have been really receptive so far. Yeah, a lot of positive reviews, which is great. Um... Rumble, well said. It, it, it really is like we were overwhelmed with the support. When we launched that Kickstarter, we thought, yeah, okay, I think we could do this. There, there might be enough people who feel the same way we do about this. And uh, in the time it took humans to watch Transformers the movie, we were funded. 
And so uh, that was that floored us. And then we went, all right, now it's on. And so, yeah, it was clear your calendars, robots, and let's roll up the gears and get to work. It's like, it worked. Or now we have to make this thing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It was surprising. And then the scope of it was crazy so that it, it, it went beyond, like, what we thought it would be, which is, okay, great, we'll, we'll do it at this scale. And then we went, no, this now has to be a much larger production and so we we took all of that kickstarter money and we just crammed it right into that album trying to make the best thing we possibly could yeah we, we've got a it's a really nice cd package there's a full color fold-out book with a nice picture center spread it's it's a really nice package there's lots of neat little things in the liner notes that people are going to look at and laugh about and really dig yeah and rc you killed it rc was responsible almost single-handedly for um Getting Vince DiCola's keyboards nice. onto the album. You want to talk about that, RC? Yeah, I, uh, I, you know, I used to shy away from hard work. Like <laughs> when they'd tell me to do stuff in the movie, I was like, I'm just gonna. I mean, if people wonder why I wasn't in the movie very much, yeah. Uh, but you know, I, I, I really, I love Vince DiCola and I love his sound, and I wanted to do it justice. And I, I don't think I've ever worked that hard and my robot existence uh and it was a lot of fun if anyone missed out on the getting in on the kickstarter or is that is it going to be available for uh you know people that didn't back it early where can they pick that up yeah so um we wanted to do the kickstarter exclusive uh just because that's the scope we were looking at um for the cd and we want that to remain we did uh an exclusive patch poster and even uh, a sticker sheet for it so we want to keep those for folks who jumped on that train. Um, but having said that, we are looking at a wider release, and so that's what we are working on once uh, the Kickstarter's been delivered. So, yeah, stay tuned. Yeah. Hopefully you got in early and got that first, but you know, there's still a possibility of getting it later. One of the reasons for the Kickstarter is, uh, well, one is we didn't have the money up front to pay for studio production or the production of actual physical goods. But another thing is we wanted to make it a pre-order so that we knew people would even want it. We've got a lot of friends and bands, and they've had CDs in their apartments for 10 years plus. Because <laughs> you have to order at least 1,000 CDs. And we didn't want to hang on to that many pieces of plastic at, at once. So we're, we're very tight on space in Cyber Toronto. And uh, we, didn't, we just didn't want all this stuff around. So now that we know that people are buying this stuff, we're going to be doing a, a much wider physical release. Maybe get the help of a, a boutique record label in there to help us. Who knows? Awesome, awesome. Uh, Hot Rod RC, y'all kind of share singing responsibilities on various tracks. What is y'all's uh, favorite uh, song to perform uh, for each of you? Ooh, uh, you know what? I I can't really pick. That, that's a that's. That's a really difficult question, but I love singing Nothing's Gonna Stand in Our Way with Hot Rod. Oh, that's a nice one. I mean, that, yeah. one's, that one's a lot of fun, especially a lot of fun to do live. Um, I got to say, and this is a recent development, my new favorite song to perform right now is Dare to be Stupid. We oh, took yeah. that song on the album, and we really just wanted to make it punk. Just like, just take Weird Al's wonderful, wacky uh, song there and just make it as hardcore punk as we could because it's such a great anthem for what I think is happening right now like in a lot of ways we all gotta dare to be stupid we gotta dare to dream we gotta I mean even in Transformers the movie right it is that existential threat 
that uh, is overcome by doing the impossible. So, yeah, we're just really feeling that song right now. I mean, we all have dared to be stupid. That's how we started a podcast. Right. That's it, yeah. <laughs> There's so many dumb ideas that are like, wait a minute, we could actually do that. This band, the story of this band is the story of a dumb idea. Like, who goes out and goes, you know what would be great? Getting your old enemies together to write music. That's at, a great at idea. At a time when the music industry is sinking. <laughs> But it's been said that music even soothes a savage beast. Right? So, this is true. So true. <laughs> this is true. Yeah. Oh, uh, you've also done uh, released uh, Cybertronic Warrior, your uh, your original uh, content. Yeah. You know, how was that? And you know, do you have plans for to more future, uh, more <laughs> original content? Yeah. In fact, we've moved up the timeline for writing uh, or for putting out some more of our original content. Uh, originally, we thought maybe we'd do some covers that are just outside the Transformers universe because we're having fun with that. But uh, I think the fans are demanding more original content, and we are happy to give the fans what they want. That's right. Uh, some people have already heard uh, a few other original tunes by us, and we might be playing one tonight. Um, but yeah, we're looking at making that a reality for another studio album in the near future. And Rumble, you know, we, we asked them about, you know, singing, you know, as the percussionist, uh, you know, do you have a favorite uh, song to uh, perform on? Yes, I do. And do you, would you like to reveal what it is? Oh, yeah, it's, it's nothing's going to stand in our way. Wow. It's, it's a real fun song to smash the kit to. Um, and I also love playing Hunger, especially oh, the end. Yeah. And there's a lot of really cool roles in there, so... There, there are different bands that played the song Hunger and have covered it. Same with Nothing's Gonna Stand in Our Way. But I really like uh, King Cobra's version of Hunger. Uh, you should look it up. Carmine Apice was the drummer in that band for that recording. And there's a cool video of them playing it. And they've got like a, a camera right above his head. And every now and then he looks up at it and just does a roll like, a, <laughs> like an amazing badass human. And so I... The song that we play is kind of a mix between what's in the movie soundtrack, the King Cobra version as far as the drums go, and then our own twist, too. So that one's a lot of fun. Awesome, awesome. So is there any other you know, uh, Autobots or Decepticons that have some hidden musical talent that you would like to uh, invite into the band eventually, or you know, other, other robots from... <laughs> Yeah, the spree has been growing. I mean, we or the original crew didn't even include Soundwave. Uh, he was playing hard to get for a few years before we got him in the band. And uh, Shockwave, yeah, wow. And even Bumblebee. Yeah. Uh, and Bumblebee is, I mean, with the success of the movie, B is rather absent from a lot of our things. But, uh, hey, you know, that's showbiz. Yeah. And then outside of that, we've done you've done some stuff with The Word Burglar. Very true. Yeah. A human collaborator. So, yeah, Word Burglar's new album, Space Verse, features myself on a track in there it's an awesome track he burgles words and in this time he's got words about transformers words about star wars it's just very geeky stuff it's it's pretty cool so check it out nice nice so is there anyone you're looking forward to seeing here at dragon con yeah can you think about <laughs> like we need to reboot him i like, I like the, the i like the pdx broadsides and also yeah. Night Sabers. They're fun. Yeah, yeah that's what I was going to say. Check oh. out Night Sabers. And Foot Pound, Foot Pound Force. Force. Yeah, yeah, they're fun. We played with them back in Huntsville. Yeah, Huntsville. That they was were a good wonderful. Time. Yeah. yeah. Well, before we release you back to the world, uh, where can people find you, follow you, uh, and check out your music? So we're on Instagram at Cybertronic Band, and same with Twitter. And Facebook, it's Cybertronic Spree. 
YouTube, Cybertronicsbree, and our website is thecybertronicsbree.com. Uh, don't go to cybertronicsbree.com unless you want a nasty, what's the, uh... Car porn? Yeah. Malware. Malware. Ah, malware. <laughs> yeah, that's... Internet. Yeah, yeah, there it is. Yeah, well, this Google is... us. And also on the YouTube, you want to check out their videos and, you know, there's some live performances on there as well. Uh, I just want to say one last time, Baweep Grana Weep Mini Bong. And thanks for being on the show. Yes, Baweep Grana Weep Mini Bong. Till all are one. Till all are one. Awesome. Thank you. And now it's time for all things nerdy in Nerd News. And welcome to Nerd News. Yeah, news. All right. So uh, let's go ahead and jump into it. Um, hard to talk about Nerd News without, you know, the iconic uh, buddy cop flick, Bad Boys. Yeah, probably one of my favorite movies of all time. We've done... You know, we did a Bad Boys episode, didn't we, a long, long time ago? Yes. Yeah, Mr. Michael Lowry. And uh, Marcus Burnett. Yep, they are back again. And I got to say, Will Smith does not age. I mean, I mean he looks we've exactly already said like it many did. times. Once you reach a certain celeb status, you just get to pay for immortality. They're, oh. just, they're just not telling us about it. Yeah, uh, freaking, you know, Martin Lawrence, you know, he's starting to look a little... <laughs> A little, a little, uh, Danny Gloverish getting too old for the shit rigs. Nah. <laughs> but freaking Will Smith looks exactly like he did the first movie, nearly. Yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, it's such an iconic duo that you know, no way I can not see this film. It just sucks. We got to wait till January seventeenth to actually see it. But yeah, that's one I'll definitely be there opening night. I mean, they even have the iconic. Uh, <laughs> it's like like the new rookies are trying to sing the Bad Boys theme. They're like, ah, uh, no. No, y'all, y'all will never do that again. <laughs> you have not earned that privilege. <laughs> He's like, yeah, and the words are really hard to remember. <laughs> so yeah, super stoked for that one. Um, a- another film that just has to go on the list is, uh, you know, Terminator: Dark Fate. You know, we did get another, you know, trailer for that. Um, you know, November first, twenty nineteen. Like, pfft. how do you not? Yeah, I mean it's it's OG Arnold and you know original director back uh you know at least as a uh executive producer, you know, writing on it. So this has potential to be better than the the last sequel we got. Yeah, absolutely. Um I I don't know. I mean G Nice or whatever it was called. I don't remember the last weird ass one. But, I mean, you know what? It's Terminator. How do you not see it? I mean, I you got to. Got to. Come with me if you want to live. Get to the chopper. Well, that was a different movie. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know, hey, whatever. Uh, up next is um, The Boys, uh, Season 2. We're adding Goron Vincent, Claudia Damont. Um, they will be joining Season 2. Um Vincent portraying Alistair, uh, the head of a sinister church. Dermot playing Victoria Newman, a young congresswoman on the rise. Sounds like uh, they might be gearing up to, you know, more of the modern political era. So, you I know. I mean, what's-her-name got killed the last one, so they're going to need a new manager for uh, <laughs> Vought. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, so, yeah, I'm kind of curious to see, you know, with the addition of the sinister church, uh, you know, 
how that's going to add. Um, I mean, do we have any kind of release date yet on season two? Well, funny you should ask. Um, Fuck no. <laughs> oh boy. Yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, so far we don't have a release date for season two. We just know that it is going to be a thing. It is going to happen. Um, so I, I don't know. I mean, I'm, I'm cautiously optimistic. <laughs> it's like, you know, the first one had some disturbing, you know, I just hope they don't bring, you know, freaking choir boys into the mix or something. Oh, God. Uh, you know, I just, uh, I, I, at this point, yeah, I'm, I'm not sure, you know, what boundaries are off limits. When a guy gets a brick of C4 up his butt and a finger in his gill, there's no telling what they'll show next season. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um Moving right along here, uh, let's let's flip it over to some video game news. Um, Dave Batista, this guy is going to be the freaking next, you know, rock as far as oh yeah, films, mean, video games, and everything. He's showing up else. in a lot of stuff lately. I mean, that Guardians of the Galaxy blew him up, and now he's like oh, in all kind of movies. Absolutely. Well, um, Dave Batista is actually going to be a playable character in Gears of War Five. Um freaking phenomenal shooter series that I absolutely love. Um, so, you know, I, uh, I don't, I, I don't know. I mean, I can't, you know, state enough and we don't have to wait very long cause, uh, September 15th, um, you know, <laughs> right. I saw a picture today of Mr. T as a ghostbuster and said, I pity the Zool. Yeah. <laughs> <clears throat> So, you know, basically, uh, rifle weapping, letting loose, you know, right, left fist, uh, you know, basically, you know, should kind of be a little bit of a nod to the character of Drax from the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Hells yeah. So, uh, yeah, um, absolutely stoked. Yeah, I don't think I've played a Gears of War since, like, Gears 3, since I, I went to PlayStation and not xbox one so i've i've not had that joy lately yeah but the joy can be brought back um up next mortal Kombat. so this is a franchise that just keeps you know going and they keep you know adding different you know pop culture icons to the mortal Kombat lineup um NetherRealm has actually announced that some of the playable characters for the next uh, DLC expansion for Mortal Kombat 11 will be, you know, Nightwolf, Shang Tsung, but some third-party folks will include Spawn, Joker, and the T-800 Terminator. Nice, because we've gotten, you know... We've gotten Jason, Jason Leatherface, you know... Didn't, didn't Michael Myers in one of them? He may be. Uh, yeah, it's like we've gotten all these great... I mean, we got the alien and the predator. So it's like the Terminator is like the next obvious 80s icon to, to, to join the ranks. Yeah, so, um, you know, if you order the combat pack, rather than purchasing the character individually, you'll get early access. Um, so you'll be able to, you know, get the exclusive gear and skins a full week early uh the t800 will be available on october 8th 
Sindel will be November 26th, Joker January 28th, and Spawn March 17th. Yeah, I may have to dust off my controllers and <laughs> get back into some MK. Yep, absolutely. I mean, that's just a fun franchise. I mean... Um, and then up next... Uh, I did know. see some cool Mortal Kombat costumes at DragonCon this year, too. Quite a few katanas and some... Uh, of course, the ninjas are always always present. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, next, uh, John Barenthal and Ghost Recon. Um, I think this one is called Breakpoint. We got a, a little bit of a trailer. Um, so he has now gone from playing Punisher to actually having a role acting in the next Ghost Recon game. Which I've loved that series. I mean, Wildlands, I still break that out and play oh yeah it once I, in a while. I've, you know i went back and started playing it again you know just to you know face off against the unidad um breakpoint <laughs> looks like it's going to take things to a whole nother level you know with the injury system and everything else so you know you take a stumble off of a cliff and end up breaking a foot or a leg like it's going to be just from what i've seen looks like it's going to be more survival and you know keeping yourself in the battle and when to avoid battle more so than just running headlong and engaging in battle you're gonna have to have some cat tourniquets as part of your loadout yeah i mean you know it, it first lo- aid. looks like one of those things where it's like oh shit you got a broken hand well that you know <laughs> gonna be hard to fire oh that's gonna be that's gonna be inter- an interesting and you know tom clancy i mean that's that's one of the things i love about his games is you know he yeah, doesn't really cater to the you know arcade run gun like oh no, no you, you have to legitimate strategy guys if you try to run in a gun you get fucked up quick <laughs> yeah i mean that's that's the thing is you know i love to play on you know realistic difficulty and you know really take your time and be methodical and you know strategize and you know I, I hope this one has co-op play because that was one of the things I loved about Ghost Recon was, you know, just being able to synergize, you know, with your buddies and, you know, hey, you take long range, you take short range, everybody stagger, you're able to kind of plan your attacks rather than, you know, straight up Leroy Jenkins and your whole squad gets wiped. Yeah, that's my, that's my uh, play style. It's like, if I tried to sneak up and, and got caught too many times, I'm like, fuck it. Give me the belt fed M60. I'm just killing everybody. <laughs> fuck it. Quiet clear. We're going loud. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, for me, I, I, I think I enjoy, you know, just kind of playing overwatch, you know, laying in the bushes and like, Oh, there's, you know, sirens and towers and here, let me, let me take down some of this stuff. Uh, <laughs> that way, you know, you folks on the ground can, uh, you know, go in and do some work without all these alerts and reinforcements coming in on top of you. And, you know, if I just happen to take out somebody that, you know, is, is creeping on your position, then so be it. <laughs> um, any other tidbits of news or anything you got for folks? Uh, one thing we, we started to talk about in the main segment, and then we got sidetracked, the void that we saw at Dragon Con, their booth. That looks like something amazing that we're going to have to go do. I mean, I, I think this may be... As close to the haptic Oasis suit that we may have seen yet. You yeah, know? It looked like they had their technology on display. It looked like a full backpack rig with a helmet and then like a chest piece too. So it looks like it's going to have like a full 
environmental uh, immersion. And I've went to their website afterward and they're, they've just opened a location here in Atlanta and they have some all over the country in different cities, but it's like, a, they say it's like a, th- about a 30 minute ex- fully immersive experience where you're in a, you know, a whole VR room and going through some kind of like, you know, almost looks almost like escape room type stuff, but in a VR in- environment. I know the one here in Atlanta has a star Wars themed experience and something that looks kind of like a steampunkish 18, you know, eighties you know, murder mystery type experience. So looking forward to checking that out as, as soon as I can. Cause I mean, that most looked pretty badass. And with that, you know, you can find us on cigar nerd We're also on the ESO network at the ESO network, uh, com, And also check out their, dragon con wrap-up show they always do a show where they have as many of the hosts that are at dragon con come on and talk about their experience we didn't make it this year because like i said i was in full-blown con crud by sunday and i was like i'm gonna keep my germs to myself and not infect the entire station but you can also find us facebook instagram twitter at cigar nerd pod you know you can get your cool smoking shirts you see us photographed with at real men smoke i'm pretty sure they survived the hurricane um you can also pick up some stuff on the zazzle Get your energy drinks at StrikeForceEnergy.com, promo code CigarNerds. And with that, Last Dragon Con, we do it all again. And this has been a recording of the Cigar Nerd Podcast. We are your hosts, Smokin' Joe and Brad Jackson. Join us next time for more adventures in nerddom. This has been a broadcast of the ESO Network. Be part of the crew and help support our shows by donating to our ESO Patreon or by shopping through Amazon.com or the Tee Public Store, which can all be found at www.esonetwork.com. The ESO Network, your station for all things geek.